Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and we've been studying Ephesians now for a few months. We've got a few more months to go. Our goal is to hit every verse in the book of Ephesians before Easter of 2022. Today we come to the focus, to the subject of unity, unity in the church. And so look with me in chapter 4. I want to read about a half dozen verses. It says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. Now, let me stop there a moment. Since we've been in the book of Ephesians for a little while, and we're we're bouncing around to different parts of the book, you may have noticed or you may have heard that there really are two different parts to this book. The first three chapters are all about who we are in Christ. The first three chapters are about our salvation, how we become children of God and all that that means for us. Now, the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians are how we are to live since we are children of God. Now, this chapter 4, verse 1 is the hinge verse. This is right in the middle. So with that in mind, look at it again. It begins with the word, therefore, because of all that we've learned in chapters one, two, and three, that we are children of God if we've put our faith in trusting God, therefore, here's what we should do. What should we do? We should walk, that is to live worthy of the calling of the gift that God has given to us. Because I'm a child of God, I should live thankful for that salvation, for that forgiveness. That salvation and forgiveness should be reflected in every part of my life. And we see that detailed in chapters four, five, and six. Now look at verse two. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So there's the focus, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now, when we talk about unity That doesn't sound like the most important topic in the world. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about uh, sexual ethics, and that's been an interesting topic, right? There's been a lot of feedback and a lot of discussion about that. And now we shift to Christian unity, and I know people will scratch their head and say, well, how is that as important as what we have been talking about? But I want you to see that it absolutely is. This is one of the most important things about living the Christian life. It is one of the most important things about the church and our church, Christian unity. And we see it described here in these first few verses of chapter 4, and we see how it is that we can have unity, that we can embrace unity. And that's what I want us to learn today. But before we go through the details of these verses, let me see if I can convince you from Scripture just how important this subject is. So why should we discuss unity? Why is unity so important? Reason number one, we are our father's children. We are our father's children. We're all a part of God's family, God's children, and God delights in the unity of his children. Don't you know that? 
I have three daughters. Two of them are adults, sort of, some days, and <laughs> one of them is, uh, is a teenager, and uh, in some days more adult <laughs> than the others. Um, but I have three children, and as a dad, nothing thrills me more than to see my girls together. Nothing thrills me more than to know that one is calling another one. They all live in three different cities, three different parts of the country. But when I hear that they are talking to one another, when they're texting one another, when they're asking one another for advice, when they do all come together and they'll be here together in three weeks, I can't wait. When I see them do things together, that warms my heart. I am delighted to see my children together. And God is delighted when he sees his children together. And when God sees the unity in the church, the church, that's the children of God. When God sees the unity in the church, he is delighted over that. If you want to make God's day, be unified with your brother or sister in Christ. In fact, Jesus prayed a prayer in John chapter 17. We call it the high priestly prayer. It's a long prayer. Uh, the entire chapter, I think, of, uh, of John 17. He prays this prayer to the Father and he asks about the things that are most important to Christ. That's one of the reasons why we study this prayer is because we, we get a behind the curtain view into the heart of Christ. We see what was most important to him. And I want to read to you part of the prayer. John 17, beginning in verse 22, Jesus says to the Father, I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus says, I want the believers to be one just as we, the Son and the Father and the Spirit are one. He goes on to say, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. It was the heart of Christ that his children, that the children of God be unified together. And that brings delight to the Father when that happens. One of the most significant ways that you can honor and please the Lord would be to choose unity when it's hard. To choose to overlook the faults of others for the sake of peace. To reconcile a broken relationship with a fellow believer. In fact, Jesus said that in some ways, seeking that unity, this will surprise you, listen, Jesus says that in some ways, seeking that kind of unity is more important than worship then worship, then what we're doing right now is to seek the unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23. He says, if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Jesus said, if there's a problem with unity, it is such a problem. It is so important that you, that you bring unity to that relationship that you ought to just stand up, walk out of worship, find that person, and get unity in that relationship. So unity is important because 
We are our father's children. Secondly, unity is important because that's how the world recognizes Christians. Not only does our heavenly father notice our unity, but the Bible says the world notices our unity. Now, there are all kinds of organizations. There are all kinds of clubs and, and community organizations, and many of those are very, very good, great to be a part of. They do in, important work. But there should be something that is distinctly different about the church. There ought to be something that's true of the church to an extent that no other club, not even the best clubs in town, the best organizations out there, there ought to be something that is so distinct about the church. And what is that? That we have this radical love for one another. That we have this commitment to unity, that we have this commitment to loving people, even if they're very difficult to love, that we have this kind of unity and commitment to that, that no other group of people could ever approach. Uh, when people can find love and acceptance here that they can find nowhere else, then we're being the church. The way we handle differences in viewpoints points, and the differences in preferences, it ought to be different here than any other place that you can go. And that's how people will recognize that we're the church, that we're children of God. Here's how Jesus said it. John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. We should have such a, a genuine love for one another. Listen, church, even people who don't agree with what we teach ought to want to be here and be a part of that. People on your street who, who might say, I don't believe half of what they believe at that church, but I want to go and be a part of it because they are famous for how they can love each other. They are famous in this town for how they love people that are different than them. They are famous at how they forgive. They are famous for how they care for people. Unity is how the world will recognize Christians. It is our secret sauce. You know what I mean? If we have a secret, you know, businesses that... Uh, maybe are, are trying to expand fast-growing businesses, they've got some product out there. You know, they may have a secret recipe or they may have a secret formula. Well, this is our secret formula, that we love each other. And it ought to be so radical and so powerful that, listen, if we were to embrace this church, we could not have enough services in Nacogdoches to hold all of the people that would come. It is our secret sauce. Well, the third reason it's important is that the strength and the effectiveness of the church depends on unity. Now, this sounds much like the last one, but it's a little different. Our unity affects both our strengths here and it affects our weaknesses. And let me, let me show you. Let me give you the negative and then I'll give you the positive. The negative. When we lack unity, it distracts us from the task of ministry. It... Uh, divides our energies, it dampens our spirit, we lose excitement and momentum and enthusiasm, people quit serving and giving and volunteering. When we lack unity, it hurts the ministries and the effectiveness of the ministries in our church. But it also 
maybe even worse than that, it distracts the community from the gospel message. Satan enjoys nothing more than to get the world talking about conflict within the church. And no news spreads faster than a church fight, right? I mean, the whole community, all in Nacogdoches would know if we were divided over something. And what it does is it distracts people from the gospel message. When people talk about First Baptist Nacogdoches, I want them to talk about Jesus. I want them to talk about how much we love Christ. I want them to talk about how much we believe that Christ can put you on a new path and he can change your life and forgive your sins. I don't want them talking about some division that's in our church. It distracts the community from the gospel message. And you know when there is division in the church, and I'm thankful we have a church that that doesn't have division, but, but that has to be safeguarded, right? That has to be protected. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But, but when disunity comes in the church, it's not primarily the people in the church that are hurt. I mean, we, we see the hurt. There is hurt. But the real hurt that we don't see is the hurt in the community because people are distracted from the gospel. Let me give you some positive ways that that unity does add to the strength and the effectiveness of the church. Number one, it's unity is a force multiplier. You know, two people can lift more than twice what one person can lift. And when we're all pulling in the same direction, we can do things that are amazing. Just look at the last two successes that we've had at our church, Serve Day, where we had over 450 volunteers go throughout our community and share the love of Christ. We got a letter in, and we've received a number of letters and text and Facebook comments, but we received a letter just a week or two ago uh, where somebody completely unconnected to our church, an educator in the community, just wrote this letter about how the kindness of people in our church just made her day. And she talked about the love of our church and she was thankful for our church. So far as I know, she's never been here. I don't know if she will ever come to our church. But listen, she has been exposed to the love of Christ through the ministry of our church. Over 450 volunteers. Now, if you, if you just look at what happened here this last Wednesday night, I don't know the, I don't know the full numbers, but had to be well over a thousand people came out for our uh, fall festival. And uh, Melanie and her team made sure it wasn't just a night to get candy, but that those kids uh, received information about the gospel and were invited to church and were shown the love of Christ. It was an incredible event. Now, why were we able to have those successes Because in both cases, we had so many people in our church all pulling the same direction. It wasn't about any one person. There wasn't any disagreement. There wasn't any complaining. It was just people rolling up their sleeves and going to work. I I walked around on Wednesday night and I saw, I guess, nearly our entire church there serving and blessing those families that showed up. It's a force multiplier, but also it is a super magnet. Uh, We've already talked about the power of unity for reaching our community. But listen, church, let me say just one more word about that. 
in a world that's filled with strife and filled with abuse and disrespect and broken marriages, where people are living in dysfunctional families, where there's political polarity, where there are racial tensions and a thousand other inequities, there ought to be a safe place in the community where people are loved, people are cared for, and if there is, that will be like a super magnet drawing people in. I think sometimes we forget just how much discord is in the lives of people we know. There is no safe place for so many of those people, but this place ought to be that place. You know, one thing I've learned counseling through the years, young adults who are not connected to church, I've I've heard it repeated over and over and over. And I want you to listen to this. If you have kids, if you have grandkids, listen to this. When I sit down with a 20-something-year-old couple or a 30-something-year-old couple, and they're not in church and they haven't been in church, but they grew up in church, and I ask them, how did, how did this happen? How did you, in church all your life, parents in church, committed leaders in church maybe, how, how did we get to the place where you just abandoned your faith? And I'll listen to them tell stories of how they sat around the dinner table, how they sat and listened to mom and dad complain about the church and the people in the church, and I don't like the youth minister, and I don't like the songs, and I don't like what, that they did this, and I don't like they did that, and all the time the parents thinking that the kids either aren't listening or don't care, or that the kids can somehow filter out the bad and, and take a big picture view of the good, and those parents are wrong. Those kids are listening and they do care and they do not have the filter to listen to all the junk that you talk about and somehow see the good in the big picture. All they walk away with is the junk. And if you want to make sure your 25-year-old kid or your 35-year-old kid is not in church, then you go home today and you foster church disunity around the lunch table. I promise you, that's what'll happen. It may be a decade from now or two decades from now. And then that child of yours will tell some pastor that his or her parents poisoned them with the church when they were 13 or 15 or 17. And there will be very little that pastor can do to talk them out of what you have talked them into. Unity, unity is so important. Let me give you another reason. Unity is critical to spiritual and emotional health. You know, the Bible warns of destructive effects of disunity on our health. Uh, Matthew 18 tells a story. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 18 about a person that wouldn't forgive. A person that is angry about something a year later or two years later and says that there will be such bitterness in that person's life, it'll be as if that person lived in a torture chamber. Have you ever sat down with somebody and they began to tell you about something that happened two, three, four years ago, and, and as they're telling the story, you can just see the anger and the bitterness 
that's a person living in a torture chamber. And it's destroying their, their emotional and their spiritual health. Uh, Matthew 5.22 talks about the spiritual effects of anger. Proverbs 14.29 tells us that anger will make you a foolish person. Proverbs 21.18 tells us that anger, that disunity will hurt your marriage. And I could go on and on and on. The Bible says that disunity is unhealthy for us. You wonder why people today have such sickness spiritually and emotionally. And I think much of it is just tied to the strife and the contention in our lives. And the Bible commends the benefits of living in fellowship and in unity. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up. As you're already doing, there's an encouragement that only comes from other people. Did you know that? If you are not unified with the people around you, you're missing out on some encouragement that'll come in no other way to your life. Galatians 6.2, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. There are some burdens that you have that will weigh you down, that'll, that'll steal your joy unless there's somebody Somebody in the church that can help you carry those burdens. Unity is important. And then finally, unity from, unity from love is an evidence of, of genuine faith. And I won't spend a lot of time on this, but the Bible says very clearly that if you don't have a, un, a, a love in your heart that presses you toward a desire for unity, if you don't care about unity, if you just want to sow discord and you're happy to do it. Have you talked to some people? You know, they're mad and they're glad about being mad. You know, I know some people like that. The Bible says that if you don't have a love in your heart for other people, then you don't have Christ in your heart. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not Love does not know God because God is love. And you can read this in 1 John 3, 14, 1 John 3, 18 and 19. I've got a lot of verses here. They all say the same thing, that, that when I became a child of God, God put such a love in my heart that while I may not always agree with every person, I will have this desire to live at unity, in unity with every person. So there are so many reasons why unity is important. It's important to honor God. It's important for the effectiveness of our church and it's important for the spiritual and emotional health of me and you and everybody in our family. So how can we have unity? Well, let's look at this. Let's look at this passage, chapter four, and I want you to notice some things. First, we must lay a foundation, a personal foundation for unity. Look at verse two. He says, with all humility, and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. You'll then make every effort. He's talking about this foundation. We have to lay a foundation for unity. It's not just something that happens automatically. There are some components. There are some ingredients that are, that are required, and he lists them here. He lists them here. Church, unity is not natural. You are selfish and self-centered almost as much as I am, okay? I mean, we're all like that, right? And left to our own ways, there will be no unity. There will be no unity. Do you know about the principle of entropy? Do you know what that is in physics and chemistry? And so entropy is the, is the condition of disorder. And without 
talking too much about stuff I don't know much about. The, the third law of thermodynamics uh, says that things are constantly moving to a, to a state of disorder. If you have a, if you put together some pieces, half the pieces of a puzzle together, you got a 300 piece puzzle, you put 150 pieces together and you got the other 150 pieces just scrambled up and you put them in a box and you put the top on it and you shake it, what's going to happen? Do you think it's going to tend to entropy? Are the 150 pieces that were together, are they going to come apart? Or are the 150 pieces that are apart going to come together? Are there going to be more pieces together or fewer pieces together when we open the top? There are going to be fewer pieces because random happens. And the same thing is true in relationships. If we're not working really, really hard at unity, the natural result of sinners living together is disunity. Is disunity. So we have to work at this. So what's the foundation of unity? He says, first of all, here it's humility. With all humility. Humility is the act of seeing yourself as you really are. Humility recognizes that you are not more important than other people. Uh, humility recognizes that I am not inherently less selfish than others. Uh, humility recognizes that I am not inherently more righteous than others. So humility is the foundation of unity. Humility is also often challenged by three things. By someone's sin, when somebody sins against us, it challenges our humility. When, when we encounter someone who has a different preference than we do, or when we encounter somebody that's made a different decision. So let, let me talk about those. When unity is challenged by someone else's sin, so somebody in your life and they've sinned, they've sinned, a humble person will not attack or condemn that person because a humble person recognizes that he or she has their own sin. Does that make sense? If you sin, if I'm humble, I don't attack you because of your sin, because what does my humility tell me? It tells me that while you sinned, so have I. <laughs> and, and, and instead of just focusing on your sin, I need to be humble because of my own sin. What if somebody has a different preference than you? So a humble person, if you see somebody that has a different preference, they just like, they like a different kind of music than you do. They like a different carpet color than you like. They like a different church start time than you like. A humble person will not make a big deal about it because he doesn't see his preferences as more important than somebody else's preference. A humble person says, I've got my preference and you've got your preference and mine aren't, aren't any more important than yours. When we're challenged by somebody else's decision that we disagree with, a humble person will not enter into the conflict because a humble person will recognize that he doesn't always have to be right. When somebody makes a decision and we think that's a bad decision, that's not the decision I would make. A humble person will say, but you know what? I don't have to be right. Now that's hard to do, right? Because we all want to be right. But a humble person can it can be okay if they're not always right. L listen to how Paul said it. 
This is one of the most convicting scriptures in the entire Bible for me. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, so he's telling us about humility, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Think about that. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Look one more time. There's a decision, there's a preference, there's a, you know, how are we going to do this? What if we considered others more important than ourselves? And then it, should, then it says, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interest of others. Now, humility is hard. You know, it wasn't even a virtue that had a name in Paul's day. The word, the Greek word for humility here, this is the first time it was ever used. So far as we know, we can't find it anywhere. Paul had to invent a word for humility. It's a Christian thing. And it's something that ought to mark us. Uh, can I read to you the, the verses that follow the ones I just read in Philippians? Be, and, and if we had another hour, and I see I'm way over on time, we're on point one, right? <laughs> Good night. We'll not have much unity over the length of the message today. <laughs> All right, let me read to you what follows those verses. So he says, consider others as more important than yourself. Look out, not for your own interest, but the interest of others. You know what the next verse says? Just, do you know? Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ. So he says, I mean, because I think I'm not going to consider somebody else more important than me. I mean, here's everything in me says no to that. But then he says, you know what? because that's what Christ did. And then the next verse tells us about how he did it. And, 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 and I don't have time, but verses six and seven and eight, that's what Christ did, humility. The next one is gentleness. You see that in verse two? Gentleness refers to the words that we use to portray the attitude that we have. So gentle words. The next is patience. I love the, uh, the King James word for patience, long-suffering. Because patience means exactly that, that sometimes we have to suffer a long time with something that's not pleasurable for us. Patience is a function of time, time. You, you're not patient in a, in, a, in a moment. You're patient over a period of time, long suffering. Patience recognizes that, that different people are at different places in their spiritual life. I sometimes have to remember, well, that person's not at the same place spiritually. I need to give him some time. Patience recognizes the process of sanctification takes some time. God is working on us. He's working on me and he's working on that person. I need to give it some time. Patience recognizes that God is working on his own timetable. The last foundation here is forbearance. Uh, he says, with all humility, this is verse two, and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. I think this is the most important of the foundations because to bear with one another with love tells us what? that the people around us are going to sin, all right? They're, they're, the people around us are going to make bad decisions. They're going to say things they shouldn't say. If that weren't the case, it wouldn't say bear with them. If everybody around you is perfect, you don't have to bear with them. This tells me, this tells you the people around us are going to mess up. 
They're going to mess up a lot. And we should have unity even when people mess up. So unity does not depend on people being perfect. Unity, we'll say, well, I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll have unity as long as they do it right. No, he says, bear with them. That means we have unity, especially when they don't do it right. When there's disunity, every time, 100%, there are people who are not laying down this foundation. The second thing he tells us we should do here, not only lay a foundation, but we should make every effort for unity. If you look at verse 3, and I'll go quickly, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make, that means to take action. Every, that means to be willing to pay a price, effort. That means to accept that it's hard work, but we should do it. Our lives, listen, Christians. Our lives should not be littered with broken relationships. If you look back over the last five years or 10 years of your life and you see that it is just littered with broken relationships, I'm telling you that's a problem. And you ought to find a way to go back and you need to fix it. It is not a Christian lifestyle, a God-honoring lifestyle to have a life littered with broken relationships. Paul said in Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You say, oh, pastor, it'd be hard to go back. Well, I'm sure it would. I'm sure it would. That's why he says, make every effort to live in unity. And then finally, we need to celebrate oneness. Uh, we saw those last, uh, those last three verses here. Uh, there's one body, one spirit. You were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and father of, uh, of all. Uh, what is he talking about? Well, we, it is easy for us to focus on the differences, right? We have different temperaments. We are different ages. We have different backgrounds, different jobs, different educations. We're married to different people. We were raised different ways. We pull for different football teams. We eat different foods. We stay up at different times. We watch different television shows. We, we're different, right? We're different. And we can focus on those differences and it would divide us. But what he says here is that as Christians, we ought to focus on something different. We ought to focus on the fact that we have this remarkable oneness, oneness. He uses the word one seven times in those three verses. One, 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 one. That's what we should focus on. The miracle of the unity of the church is not that we don't have differences. That's why I don't like all these churches that, that are popping up everywhere where, you know, we're going to have a church for people that hunt deer and we're going to have a church for people that uh, crochet watermelons and we're going to have it. No, we don't need to all be the same. Here's the miracle. We can have unity even if we're different. I don't want to pastor a church of just 20-somethings. I don't want to pastor a church of just 60-somethings. We, we, this is the beauty. You look at our church. We got all kind of people, all kind of socioeconomic levels. We now have people of all different languages. We have old people and young people, pretty people and other people. We, we've got... <laughs> We got all these people, and the beauty, the miracle, is that we can have unity nonetheless. How do we have unity? One body, he says here. We're all the same church. We're a family. I have a family that, that my, my, my biological family, that, that's all kind of different craziness. I'm the 
worst, I'm, I'm sure, but, but we're all kind of different, but we're one family. Here in the church, we're one family. So he says, one body, one spirit. You know, they do something in the summit service that uh, I've never experienced uh, it, what I'm going to tell you. I, I can't even imagine. But the musicians on the platform, they all have, if you look close, I don't think we do this in, in here, but, but they all have uh, little earpieces stuck in their ear. And you know what's playing in that earpiece? This would drive me crazy. It's called a click track. And it's just a click, 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 click. And I understand that sometimes, because they pre-record these, uh, they'll have Grant's voice on there. You know, I don't know what he's saying, sing prettier, sing faster or something. And, and it's just, and they're all hearing the same click, 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 click. And it's to keep them together. You know, we all have a click track and it's the Holy Spirit. And I may not see it like you see it, and you may not see it like I see it, but we ought to have a click track, the Holy Spirit guiding all of us. One body, one spirit, one hope. We're all trying to accomplish the same thing, right? I want to honor God for all eternity in heaven. One hope, one Lord. We're trying to please the same person. One faith. We've all come to Christ the same way. It's not that some people, you know, they lived a little better than others. Some people, you know, they had to get in on a junior membership or something. No, we all come the same way by faith. One baptism. We share this common testimony. And one God and Father of all. That's why we have unity, and that's where our focus should be. Now, let me say this. What I've challenged you to do is patently absurd, and I know. Because of who we are, we can't be unified. We can't forgive people. Forgiveness is impossible. If somebody hurts you, it hurts, right? And, and there's nothing you can do to make the hurt go away, except for one thing. I know that God has forgiven me. And by virtue of that, I can forgive my brother. If it weren't for that, this would be impossible. If it weren't for the unity that God has formed with me, it would be impossible for me to form unity with any other person here. But because God has forgiven us, because God has reconciled us, we can be reconciled together. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, forgiveness is impossible. You can't forgive people. Unity, you'll never have real unity. It's not until you experience the unmerited, undeserved forgiveness of God that you're going to be able to have that with others. And so I invite you, put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross, what he did for you, that it is sufficient to forgive your sins and surrender to him. And not only will you have unity with the Father, but then you will have the resources to have unity in your family and in your church and with everybody you know. Father in heaven, thank you for the unity that has flowed from heaven through Christ to us and help us to be people that are unified. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.